Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Wurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Catherine, it is such a pleasure to speak with you today, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Really, such a rich resource in how people can be resilient and overcome adversity in effective ways and do amazing things in this world that we're sharing. I'd like to get started here, if you could just share where you currently live and work. I live on Pender Island, which is an island between, I'm in Canada, and I'm just over the border from the States. And it's an an island between Vancouver, which we call the Lower Mainland, and Vancouver Island. You have a wealth of expertise, as I mentioned. Will you share a little bit about what began your professional focus and where it all began that you began to think about mindfulness or, or all of these huge concepts, leadership actualization, deepening intuition, deep corporate sustainability. How did this journey all begin for you? I have a master's in environmental studies. And so I, I had been doing environmental consulting and sustainability consulting. There were a couple is- issues. I mean, I loved the work and I was really passionate about it, although it's a really hard field to be in because it's not always happy. <laughs> you know, when you know, it's like when you know too much, it's not always happy. But in my private life, I've always practiced a kind kinds of mindfulness. And I've always had, even for, as a child, I've always had certain experiences. I don't remember a time when I didn't. So, but that was very separate from my work as a consultant. So that was one issue is I sort of have, was. It was like a a private or a split between my professional and my personal life. And I think a lot of people have that. And then there was also, I had this feeling as, as, as good as things went, that I wasn't having as much impact as I wanted. I wanted to be making greater change in the world. And to do that, I started to realize I had to do something different. Like I had to be able to get into a deeper conversation with people. 
And I couldn't do it from that place. And so I ended up going into mindfulness. But even that was because I had practiced and done so many different things for so long on my personal journey, just the practice of mindfulness is a bit boring to me. (laughs) I really wanted the practical application because it was what happened with me in my journey too. It was like, okay, yes, it's great to go into a meditation and see the bright lights or be one with the universe or whatever, you know, all these various things that can happen. But I wanted to see the practical application in my life. And so that's really what I work around. And that took me to a place of realizing we can really use these, you know, the way meditation is being taught, we're all really only using a very small part of its potential. And not just meditation, but mindfulness and using, you know, accessing the subconscious and all these kinds of things. Yeah, I read that you were documenting some of the the mindfulness and meditation, how you wanted to go further. And you like to focus on peak experiences, altered states of consciousness, and that these are the things that rewire our brains most effectively. Certainly, people are more and more aware of neuroplasticity. We share a little bit about how you perceive a deeper experience with, with some of the mindfulness that's out there. You know, mindfulness is a is a broader concept. It doesn't just mean meditation. But if we talk about the states, the, the brain states, instead of maybe meditation, we talk about the brain states. So we talk about beta, which is where you are when you're doing a task. And then if you're doing maybe meditation on the breath, you, you normally go into alpha, and that's a slightly slower state. And then there's a slower state after that, and that's theta. And that's where we're in flow or we're in a deeper meditation. And a lot of people who are meditating don't get to that state regularly. For me, I love that state. That's where you come out of it and you feel like your brain has had a shower. But you can also access a lot of a lot more information. And again, it's that flow, you know, it's the place where you get into flow. And then there's delta where you drop off into sleep. And then there's the gamma, which they're just kind of discovering now. So knowing already just knowing about those brain states empowers you to a different level because now you're not just sitting down, sitting down to do a meditation and just taking the results of it. You're saying, you're, you're saying, well, I have all these possibilities of brain states. Where do I want to spend my time? And then also, I'm, I'm a big believer in kind of flipping the equation when it comes to meditation and in terms of making it more, getting more results and getting more practical results is starting with, you know, where, first of all, where are your challenges in life? We all have them. And then what are your aspirations? You know, what are your really big aspirations for this life about who you want to be and how you want to be in the world? And then design the practice backwards that way. I think meditation on the breath is really quite limited and and particularly in the way it's taught. And I talk to a lot of people who it doesn't work for them. It doesn't work for them because they're not being taught properly, but there are ways to tweak it to take it much, much deeper. Yeah, people, I mean, people say meditation isn't isn't about quieting the mind. And that one I don't really understand because... (laughs) For me, it is <laughs> that that stillness. And then you asked about peak, peak experiences. I think, I mean, peak experiences are just those moments in life where you're having a peak experience. And, and that, again, that can be in meditation, but that can be a moment at a sunset. That can be, you know, a moment with someone else, the birth of a child, all those kinds of things. A moment of insight. Maslow, when he was doing his research, I think in the 20s and 30s, on self-actualized people actually found that they had more experiences of peak, more experiences of altered states and more experiences of peak states. 
You've described developing emotional superintelligence, embracing a deeper expression of yourself as a leader. Will you share how you going beyond maybe some of the other meditation teachers, will you share a little bit about how you take this to the next level and how you help people go further than they thought was even possible? Yeah, well, I've just started to explore, I've just started to write actually articles about emotional intelligence and the pitfalls of emotional intelligence. Because it's right now, it's kind of held up there as a gold standard. And there, you know, there's lots of research out there that shows that it's effective. But it also has certain pitfalls and certain limitations and things that we need to be aware of. One of the things that often happens with it, and it's the same thing that happens with the, the idea of being in the present, is that you, instead of like the, that the managing of the emotions becomes more like controlling the emotions. So they become, and the, the, in the present, this idea of being in the present, which is another thing I'm, I'm not a believer in, it becomes about control it com- and it becomes fear-based, which is exactly what you're trying to get away from, is that kind of fear-based living that, we, that we're all in. The world is in that right now. And I think every piece that we can chip away from that is just a big win. So that issue of that it's suppression, that more often than not, it's suppression of your emotions. A lot of times, too, it turns into kind of the adult in the room syndrome, what I call the adult in the room syndrome. And then if you're being, if you start to feel like you're the adult in the room syndrome, you end up having a lot of resentment and frustration building up. And what happens is you end up not having authentic conversations. So authentic conversations are the conversations that we really need to have in the relationships that that matter to us when we can't do it with everybody. But in the relationships that matter with us, we need to have more honest conversations and emotionally honest conversations. And so a lot of times with emotional intelligence, again, that's that's not happening. And then there's a there's a danger to I won't go through through them all because I there's a lot of potential problems. But there's a danger too with like emotional intelligence about is about being aware of your own emotions, but also being aware of others particularly for leaders or other people who already tend to take over responsibility for others, that can be a problem unless you you have a kind of a wider knowledge of emotions because you end up taking responsibility for the emotions. And that's a big danger. So that's the big danger with that. And that's probably an hour conversation itself, but but that's the <laughs> highlight of it. Or some of that's some of the highlights. There's there's more. I mean, there's some interesting research coming out. For example, one of the pieces that's really interesting to me is that they found that the victims of workplace bullying are people who have high emotional intelligence. So that's kind of unnerving. <laughs> and what it, what it says is what it says is we need more information here. We need more skills here than what's being taught by this. It's not enough information. Absolutely. And I think if there's the the Gallup poll that says, you know, it's, it's like 70% of Americans are not satisfied with their job. And there's, you know, popular TV shows that talk about like The Office that talk about all the things that go on and the ridiculousness that happens in companies and how sometimes that can become an abusive situation where, especially in high stress workplaces. And I know you've served all levels of government. You've worked with large and small businesses, nonprofits, all sorts of different organizations. Could you share a little bit about how the work that you've done has led to positive cultures in an organization where people feel valued? How are leaders using what you teach to inspire people, to connect with people, to create workplaces that people truly enjoy being in? Well, I think there's two, two parts to that. One is, you know, a lot of times when we're trying to create change, we do it outside in. And I think that there's more momentum in change if we do it from the inside out. And we, 
you know, it's just faster and it's easier and it's more kind of all-encompassing. And so I think when a leader changes, those changes ripple throughout the organization. And then on the other side of that, we know the things that, uh, what's his name? I think his name is Richard Ryan. You know, the, they did the research on motivation. So we know the things that are that create motivation. They're things like purpose. So purpose is, is on the increase in organizations. I find when it's not working, it's not getting its kind of full engagement potential and its full potential period, it's because it's only happening at the leadership level either just with the leader or the leadership team or the executive team, and it's not being integrated. And the other thing, I think there's a piece missing. I think that the biggest gift you can give your people is to teach them to find their individual purpose. And when they connect to that, that changes them. And that takes them out of overwhelm, for one thing. We really need to take people out of overwhelm right now. It's it's just become so... So overwhelming <laughs> because, right. you know, especially with the technology, right? Now right. It, that technology is as fun and wonderful as it is, it adds to the overwhelm in a big way. So, you know, g- giving people back that kind of power to over their lives again. And purpose is a piece of that because purpose gives you definition. It gives you definition to your life and it tells you what success means to you. It tells you where to put your focus. It helps you make decisions. It gives you more fulfillment. Just all these things across the board. And then also in the workplace, you know, we also know that play, that increasing the sense of play in the workplace. And again, that's to to do that, you need to get people out of overwhelm. But that connects people back to better answers, to more creativity, to just more enjoyment to better customer service, to better productivity, all those things. And then the sense of self-growth, the sense of an autonomy, the ability to kind of, you know, have control and in your area of the world and to to feel like you're being challenged in positive ways and have the opportunity to grow. That's the other thing that that is the important piece. And as people struggle and have their struggles in growth, will you share a little bit about how they can have some emotional resilience during that process and how they can help to take the things that are frustrating or difficult for them that they view as maybe adversity or difficulty? And then how can they proceed toward that intention that they have, toward a life that is more fulfilling, towards an experience where they're able to truly drink deep of life and make the most of the time that they do have? You know, the, what we struggle with all the time is emotions. You know, emotions tell us if we're having a good day, if we're having a bad day, and yet we've kind of put them on the back burner. They're, they're secondary to our rational mind. They're secondary to, you know, we just, we're just, if we're fighting them all the time as something secondary, we put them as kind of as a second class citizens. And I think we need to develop a better understanding of emotions and we need to stop making them the bad guys because they're not the bad guys. They're, every emotion has information that comes with it. And so learning to read and listen to that information, learning to listen to yourself, that's the journey of kind of self-love and self-trust. That's the journey that takes you into deeper expression of yourself. But we don't have those examples around us. I mean, because because there's so many messages around us saying to suppress your emotions, suppress your emotions, push them down, push them out of the way. And we've internalized those as well. So they're, they're coming from inside of us. They're coming from outside of us. And we don't have a lot of mentors or examples on how do you actually 
you know, deal with these emotions well? How do you actually bring them home? Like what happens is, you know, all these emotions, we make them the bad guy. And when we make them the bad guy, we, we ostracize them. We push them away from ourselves. So now we have created a disconnect. I'll give you an example of conflict. What happens with conflict in the workplace? A lot of times, the surprising emotion that causes conflict in the workplace is jealousy or envy. Does that surprise you? Well, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So this this is kind of how it plays out. There'll be somebody in the workplace who's doing, you know, a really good job, and somebody will feel envious of that, and they'll assign certain assumptions to them, like you're doing that good job to make us look bad, something like that, or you know, you're just trying to, you just think you're so perfect, or something like that. But what they're really feeling is what what really triggered it was a feeling of jealousy or envy. And instead of feeling that, they pushed it down. And as soon as you push that down, you somehow, I've watched it myself, actually, somehow you you turn on the person, you you turn negatively on the person. And then you start to create chaos in the workplace. You start to create conflict. Now, the opposite of that is to, is to realize that you're feeling that envy or jealousy and to explore it, to feel it. It's not a green monster. It's not a terrible thing. What it's actually telling you is that there's something more you want in life. And given I think that we're kind of evolutionary people, like we are, we, there is an urge to evolve in us. So yeah, we want more. So when you look, look and explore and discover, well, what is that? It's often not, you know, like the, the, we talk about the, the jealousy of the guy who buys the car next door kind of thing, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. And when you actually sit down and explore it, you often discover your jealousy is not really the car. Your jealousy is what that represents. And maybe you can't have that new car at this particular moment, but you can find out what it actually represents. What is actually, what's actually deeper in you that is being, that's, that's wanting, that's being called for, that you actually desire. And probably you can fulfill that. That's great. And how often that happens, the sabotage at workplaces, the frustrations, the conflict, the animosity that grows. And to have people who experience that type of awareness where they're able to process those emotions without taking it out on someone else or in processing it in a healthy way to, to lock into what their deeper desire is, to what they want out of life more, instead of focusing so negatively on others, then, then we find our path and then we feel happy for others who are succeeding because we know how it feels. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And there's another piece to that, Ben, especially with you know, the leaders that I, the people I work with tend to be, you know, they've, they're self-reflective people. They've put some thought into their life. They, they do really care. They're fantastic people. So often it's a case of their being kind of like they're using their emotions to whack themselves. <laughs> I wrote an article, I think this week or so on, on a, a CEO who had who had really who really believed in servant who really believes in servant leadership but there are issues with servant leadership and one of them is that it kind of tells you that to be a good person you need to put your own needs aside and that's one of the traps people fall into all the time but we're hearing it again you know it's it's in most of the religious practices and the spiritual practices that message right put your you know be a good person put your own needs aside put your and the i think the secret to real development is the opposite that you need to fill yourself up first 
so that you are giving yourself from overflow. Because if you don't, if you are putting your needs aside, you have at best a half empty cup and you're only able to give a trickle of your true self-expression. And I think there's a place to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So with his servant leadership, you know, he had an employee criticize him and he felt himself react and he judged himself for his reaction. Like he judged himself. He's like, you know, a true leader wouldn't do, wouldn't have that reaction. And it's like, you know what? Don't <laughs> like, as soon as you hear yourself saying shouldn't, <laughs> that's your cue, yeah. right? Yeah. That's right. your cue to go, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> I might be, yeah. fa- I might be, I might be acting under some false beliefs here. <laughs> so, right. and instead just, just be where you are, like, just find out. So just sit and say, okay, you know what? It's pretty normal to react to, to criticism. So first, that's one thing. That's kind of your self-compassion, starting with self-compassion, right? It's pretty normal. And then get curious. Why, why did I react to that way? You know, what is it about? What can I learn here? What, what is some part of me trying to tell me? And that's the beginning of really digesting your emotions, where you, where you take these difficult emotions and you digest them and you take the good, the nutrients out and you let go of the wastes. And you know you've done. You've digested them because you've resolved them. They actually resolve. And you change. You experience inner change. And it may not be the first time, but you maybe it's a part of it that you digest. And then you just continue to go deeper and deeper. And that's what the emotions do is they take you. They have information. They have pearls of wisdom for you. It's excellent to pay attention to those and then to extend that self-compassion, as you said. Then people often find extending compassion to others, but when it comes to extending compassion to ourselves, that's a, a different animal. Like you're saying, we get a lot of messages to say, well, sacrifice yourself and do things that are helpful for others. But to get to that point where you recognize that you, to truly help others, you need to be kind to yourself in the process and to not leave yourself behind in that, that actually makes you more effective in caring for others. Would you agree with that? That once you share an understanding of, of what your human beingness is and that what you experience with emotions and, and conflict, that that's not, not anything different than what anybody else experiences. And so to extend you know, that kindness to yourself, that compassion, and then to allow yourself to sense the messages that come from those feelings, to process that and get to the point where, you know, it gives you a much more human perspective, a much more, I don't know if the proper word is level-headed, but a much more balanced approach to understanding yourself, your environment, your workplace, your family, anything to do with human relationships because of that kindness you're extending to yourself and how that translates out, outward, like you were saying, inner to out. Yeah, you get out of the fight, you fight with yourself, you, you, you experience more inner peace. This is two things. I mean, with the self-compassion, I don't think you can have good compassion with healthy boundaries and really true deep compassion unless you're starting from self-compassion, right? I think that, that this, this, I mean, there's a big call for compassion and empathy in the workplace these days, but I really think it needs to start from self-compassion. And I think if we don't, we're just getting ourselves, it just, it just heightens that turmoil again, that you should be blah, 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 you know? So, so getting out of that turmoil. And then once you're, you know, that's a big piece of getting people out of overwhelm. If you think about what stress is, it's really emotional pressure. So giving the people the tools to, to, to kind of deal with emotions is a big key. 
And for people to take that on and, and embody that, you know, that's it's a pretty revolutionary concept, truly. And how what kind of world that would create when when this type of knowledge that you're sharing, that this type of understanding for this to become you know, commonplace, it will electrify people's lives and uh, create the ability for them to do amazing things, have more cohesion, have more awareness. I mean, there are so many frustrated and hurting people, I think partly because of their inability to process emotions like you're describing, or to to navigate all this these feelings and thoughts within us. Once we get to the point where we're practicing that self-compassion, that, that can just revolutionize society. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I mean, it, it's inner peace. And I think it's what religion and spirituality kind of get wrong. And the reason why, although everybody's sort of practicing these practices, they're not necessarily, they're still struggling internally. They're still struggling with others. is because of those that disconnect from these so-called negative emotions or difficult emotions, right? And, and again, as soon as you do that, you have created a disconnect in your own psyche. And so now you are basically condemned yourself for e- to eternal turmoil because you're going to be fighting against this this peace that you've you've sent off or you've suppressed that keeps trying to come back. And then then that's only the tip of the iceberg. You know, once you you know once you begin to get out of that overwhelm, you open up so many other potential facets of your psyche, of our abilities. I really think that We've only just started to tap into our potential here as humans. And as I explore more more and more that road, it's just, it's fascinating. I mean, for, for me, I do believe in something bigger, something greater than myself. And when, you know, when mindfulness was brought in to the corporate sector, that kind of piece of it was taken out, that, that it was presented as a secular practice, which was really good because it, that allowed it to spread really widely, but it spread really widely in kind of a superficial fashion. And for me, who learned it originally as part of a spiritual practice, I think it also kind of left out some of the most transformative qualities of those practices. The things that I'm really interested in, in exploring, you know, the mystery of kind of why we're here and what we're doing here. <laughs> it's one of the things that I, you know, I talk about elevating the leadership conversation. I think it's also about elevating all of our lives when we talk about kind of the three different pieces of the one is you know all these daily tasks and responsibilities that we we need to handle and take care of and then delving into our own deeper expression our own personal evolution and self-actualization and then the third piece being the bigger question of you know what is this experience and why are we here we know it's a limited engagement and what does it mean to make the best of it? Because so often what what we're doing every in our daily lives, and I've done it myself, is put the things that matters matter most on the back burner. And again, it's that thing of being an overwhelm, right? Or that thing of being being told by all these external voices, you gotta handle this, you gotta handle this, you gotta take care of this, you gotta do this. And then we never get around to the things that really matter to us most. We never even get into those conversations. So if we start the conversation there, the way it plays out is completely different. One thing you wrote on your website, it says companies that mean more actually make more. And so I love how you're delving into the depth of the reality of what's happening when people come together to work, to create something, to do something productive 
Will you talk a little bit how this awareness and these conversations you're having with leaders and raising awareness about these deeper realities, how is that helping people to achieve that finest life possible or whatever that means, an improved understanding of, of human being? How do you take that deeper and, and how does that translate to people being more successful in their life, more relationship, peace, less mental stress, less conflict? How does that work? Well, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> you take the word organization and you think we tend to think of organizations as things. And yet an organization is just a group of people who come together to accomplish something that a single person couldn't accomplish on their own. And so the, it's that it's really that people side. You know, business has changed. Our ideas of business have changed so much in the last little while. We used to think, you know, business was just about making money. And that's what's its, its role in society. And it was just about making money and you put your head down. And so you could do kind of crappy things because, you know, it was just about making money. And there's still lots of that left in the world. But there's also big change happening. You know, there are many companies seeing a bigger responsibility for business than just making money and, you know, connecting to the communities. And when I talk to leaders, it's really funny because I ask them, you know, I ask them about their purpose and I ask them, I've been doing some research lately. I mean, I, I'm I'm obviously getting a biased sample, <laughs> but they talk about wanting to lift their people up, wanting to lift people up, wanting to see them grow. I think I've wandered off the question. <laughs> <laughs> Just the concept of companies, you know, that, that mean more, they make more. And so to have workplace, it's not just you're going there for a paycheck and and then coming home and spending 40 hours of, or longer of your week just to get some money in your bank account and then missing out on your amazing experiences of family or like you were talking about peak experiences or this or that. And the evolution of in the workplace that people are asking for more than just the job where money is made. They're asking for something bigger and deeper. They're asking for what you describe, especially since we spend so much time of our lives at work. Yeah, I think so. I think it takes it back to that bigger question about, you know, what are we doing here? And what, what is this mystery of the, the mystery of this experience that we're having, the, the awe of this experience that we're having? Can we tap back into that? You know, I know for me, when I think about the end of my life, I think, you know what? I don't want to look back and realize I left my potential on the table, which I was doing, <laughs> right? And still, you know, still, I'm still going, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. There's more here. But that's that's the fear for me. That's what I realized when I sat down and reflected. It's like, I do not want to look back and realize I left my potential on the table. That because of all the, you know, intuition is scary or whatever, that I didn't explore that. I didn't explore my full potential. And I think when it comes down to it, there'd probably be a lot of people who, if they sat down and reflected, would share that that fear. That you didn't live a full life because you were too busy listening to the outside voices and not and not hearing your own and not hearing the kind of, I mean, not just your own voices, but that the deeper intelligence that's around us, even our bodies, right? If we, you know, I had a, I had a thyroid condition. I was on medication for 15 years. I haven't been on medication for a number of years now. My body continues to get stronger in surprising ways. And the, the way I did it was through intuition. Like I healed myself through intuition and it was completely a journey of self-trust and self-growth. And I continue to, now it's just kind of fun. <laughs> now I'm at this place where it's like, because, you know, my body's healthy and 
in a different way. Like I never felt quite right on that medication ever. And now I don't have things like brain fog or anything like that, you know, muscle pain or anything. I rarely visit the chiropractor and I used to. So all those kinds of things. But yeah, so there's a lot, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to explore when you begin, when you begin to sit down and get yourself out of overwhelm and you begin to learn to listen to yourself and listen to the greater intelligence. And it also makes life a lot juicier. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you today if I hadn't listened more deeply. It's amazing. We, we skip or miss so much of what's right there all the time. It is truly sad to see that amount of potential that we as a human race waste. And it's so exciting to see the trend starting to happen in commerce that we're asking for more employees are asking for a better experience. Leaders are trying to give their employees a better experience. We're really recognizing the miracle of what life is and coming aware of it and taking the time to be astonished by it and not taking anything for granted. And just instead of overwhelm, forfeiting that for gratitude and and growth, it is truly a profound change that is happening in our world. Yeah, it is a profound change. And, and you know, uh, but I think that there's still this piece that's keeping people stuck. And that's, you know, this mindfulness piece or this idea of, being good. You know, the people I work with and I know, they're they're so good. They're they're such good people. They're such lovely people. And they're stuck in, you know, like the example I gave before of the guy with the servant leadership. Here's this wonderful leader who really cares and they're stuck because they're they're being told the wrong way to handle things. You know, they're being told that being good is giving up your own needs or they're being told that basically just that they're bad, that that, that and to disconnect from themselves, right? And it's like, and this is like a epidemic. This is everywhere. And I think we need to get out of that. We need to get to a place of listening and not that these these emotions aren't bad things. Anger is not bad. Anger becomes a problem when you suppress it. But anger in itself, it's not bad. It usually, you know, it's got, it has messages for you. Exactly. Powerful messages. It has powerful messages. Sometimes those messages are, you know, things like your boundaries are being crossed. Sometimes it's things like when you dig down it deeper into it, that you're having unreasonable expectations of another person, that you're looking to get your needs met from someone else, from outside of you, rather than from inside of you. What a profound change when somebody is able to recognize, okay, you know, I've been spending all this time thinking that at retirement, my life will begin and it'll be good. Or when I get the promotion, it'll be good. You know, when I get the car, when I get, when I get, 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 get something in the future and we miss, (laughs) we miss so much by not paying attention or realizing that the answers that we're looking for are not in those things that they are within and to to begin to explore that and to begin to celebrate the reality of who you are and how you're being, that is just a profound altered perspective on things that creates a lot more happiness and tranquility and peace and innovation. I mean, I just, I just love talking about it because it excites me and I love sharing it with people because I love seeing them make that change within and to look inside and start to develop themselves and get out of patterns of anger and listening you know, to a lot of, you know, the people that I work with who have addiction or who, who are dealing with suicidality and getting to the point where they're overwhelmed and, and in such pain and constant pain that it's powerful to see them make a switch into understanding that going within is a profound, important journey 
that can create a different kind of life for them. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about addiction and, and you know, I believe all I believe all addiction is just about suppressing emotions. That is why we get addic- addicted to things. Right now, there's an obesity epidemic in the U.S., right? People are literally eating themselves to death, which is extraordinary, right? It's extraordinary when you think about it. But it's, again, we haven't been taught how to take this pain and transform it, how to bring it, you know, really bring it home, not keep it separate anymore, but bring it home and bring home the teachings within it. Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to share from your perspective? Largely, Get Up Nation is a group of people who are committed to creating positive change, to overcoming adversity, to being resilient in a world like we have described, there were a lot of changes happening quickly as technology unfolds, even the way we communicate changes, you know, almost monthly, it seems. Is there anything that you'd like to speak to as far as the people listening where you could give them some pearls about the significance of resilience? Yeah, I mean, the resilience is kind of everything. And it certain, certainly starts with that self-kindness. It st- definitely starts with that self-kindness and that self-compassion. You know, taking the time, just getting out of overwhelm. I, I, I don't think you can have a good life if it doesn't contain some kind of self-reflection. Because really, you're just on autopilot, right? For me, this is a journey of getting off autopilot, unlocking choices. It really is about unlocking choices, having more choices, functioning for more inner peace, not feeling like you're fighting yourself all the time, but feeling like you are becoming that ideal version of yourself, that deeper version of yourself, like you're becoming the best version of yourself. And when you're on that kind of actualization journey, that is a different quality of living. And it is within our reach, like it's absolutely within our reach. You know, again, I think something like AA, I think AA I was going to say, is it AA? But that no, that's the automobile thing. <laughs> AA <laughs> is the addiction thing. <laughs> so, so something like AA, I mean, I, I know it's helped a lot of people, but I also think it keeps them stuck because it t- tells them that they're going to, it doesn't help them like hear their emotions or deal with their emotions. And so they kind of stay in fear of themselves. They're now in fear of themselves as an alcoholic, for example. And that again is that disconnect. It's kind of keeping that disconnect in place as opposed to like processing those feelings. There's a lot of, but there's a lot of reasons why people don't process those feelings. I mean, there's one, there's, there's, there's not having the skill set, not knowing how. There's also the feeling of if I touch this, because I have been pushing it down for so long, it feels like a volcano is going to erupt. And I can tell you that's not really true. Although when you begin working with emotions, there can be, because there is kind of some pent up stuff. There's a lot of baggage, basically. At first, it can be a little bit messy. But then very quickly, you get to a place where you're able to handle them, where you stop fearing the emotions. Because that's the other reason. We're, we're, we are afraid of our emotions. We are afraid of the pain. And to get to a place where you realize, oh, wait, these don't have power over me anymore. I'm not afraid of them anymore. That's huge. Right? There's things like something else is running our lives right now, right? It's, and it's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. We have given over this power of our lives to a monster we call, a made-up monster, the monster in the closet we call emotions. And it's not true. I'm looking forward to releasing this to Get Up Nation and having them hear this. It's a wonderful conversation about living an empowered life, laying hold of a deeper experience of life than we may have ever dreamed of. I'm happy to talk with you about this and to get your insights into this. 
to help my audience grow and experience life in a more powerful way. Catherine, I always end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me? I would love to. Who are you thankful for today? Today, I'm really thankful for you, Ben, because it was really fun to have this conversation with you. I'm pretty thankful for my mechanic because he got my car running <laughs> again. <laughs> and he's a really sweet and he's a really sweet guy. Uh, you know, there's this. Yeah, there's so many things. There's so many people and things to be thankful for. I'm thankful for that. I have a fridge that's full of food. Well, actually, it's not so full of food right now because the car was broken. I couldn't get any, but but it's but it's but it will be. But you know, things like that. And I think you know, so many people in the world don't have fridges even. And I have a fridge and a car, right? An amazing place to live. Absolutely, it's always good to have a home, a place to lay your head at night and experience life. That is a profound reality that we can be grateful for every day if we are not out on those streets and and have that ability to go somewhere safe. How do you fuel the fire within you? You know, I I think it's the playing and exploring at at higher levels of being. I mean, one thing we didn't get into very much was kind of the intuition and the subconscious side and those kinds of things and accessing, you know, deeper wisdom, which is what comes next after you kind of clear, you know, after you get out of overwhelm. But those kinds of playing to source, to be able to source bigger answers, to change the quality of, of lives to be able to offer a perspective that's outside the status quo and you know decrease inner struggle bring bring more peace bring more real peace to the world people talk about love all the time but you know our ideas of love are so some of them are so unhealthy <laughs> what is one thing adversity taught you to value certainly taught me to value peace being able to create peace and to kind of know the difference between kind of connection and not and disconnection and learning, it taught me to love learning. You know, I, I love learning. I love learning new things. And it taught me to get up again and again and again, no, many, no matter how many times I got knocked down. What are you doing today you may have never thought you could? I think having these kinds of conversations, having these conversations about elevating our lives and elevating leadership, from, about thinking of our organizations in a bigger way, thinking about being leaders in a bigger way, I would say that's it that the, the being able to play that, you know, play at the kind of edge of human potential. It's amazing. And then what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? For me, it's actually a lot of the gifts I haven't talked about on today on the show. Actually, some of them I don't really talk about that much and yet they're coming up. You know, I do things like energy work and that's amazing. The, th- the things that happen <laughs> when I'm doing it, the things I, I can know without no that that it would be impossible impossible for me to know from my daily consciousness, the things that happen, yeah, that's pretty exciting. That's what I look forward to. That kind of that tapping human potential, that subconscious, all of it. I think we should have another conversation soon to go into some of the things we didn't cover today. Would you like to meet again? I would love that, Ben. Yeah. It's been great to have. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk with you. Absolutely. And I want to make sure that people learn how they can learn more about you and your amazing work. Is there a place that people can go to learn more? Hiremindfulness.com. And that's a good place to connect. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for my name or search for Higher Mindfulness. Those are probably the, the best places to connect with me. I'm on Twitter as well. 